Episode 172 for March 2012. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They have today's comics at yesterday's prices. An example of their great prices is on the Spider-Man Parallel Lives graphic novel. Now, we've talked about this classic 1989 book over the years, and here's your chance to actually own it. It shows the early years of Peter and Mary Jane and how they fell in love and eventually got married. And it's a classic, and it divides a lot of Spider fans, so you ought to check it out. The cover price is $4.99. Mail order has it for just $3.09, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Also, like them on Facebook. Just type in Mail Order Comics in the search bar. And we're starting this episode off with some amazing reviews. Amazing Spider-Man 679.1 came out this month, and also 680. We're going to tackle both of the books. Uh, Mr. Slot had some help on this one. Dan Slot and Chris Yost wrote it. Matthew Clark had the pencils. And basically, the point ones are an introduction, allegedly, to the character of Spider-Man. Uh, this one kind of talked, showed a bit about his um, life at Horizon Labs and also had uh, Kevin's favorite person, the Morbius, coming back. And we have one of my least favorite people, the Lizard, in the tag. So, JR, I think you passed out from the sheer awesomeness of the porn review. You start off with this review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, if anything makes me want to go see John Carter now, I guess, you know, I mean, uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, six seventy nine point one. Uh, well, I'm I'm only I'm going to give this a B minus, mm-hmm. only because of the characterization of of, of Watu Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked I really liked uh, um, his character uh, in this story. Just kind of the the whole idea that. Uh, he uh, he he envisioned himself as some kind of monster hunter, and he's got all the gear ready to go. And uh, you know, he's dreamed of being a hero for waiting for a moment just like this. And uh, that's I was about to say there probably isn't a young boy or young man or whatever who hasn't envisioned you know being a superhero at one time or another. And uh, so I kind of like this portrayal. But otherwise, I mean, the story is I mean, is Morbius a good guy or a bad guy? You know, I mean, we yes. we keep we keep dancing on that <laughs> precipice. You know, I mean, really, I mean, at the risk of insulting, you know, the departed, since Kevin is no longer among us, uh, <laughs> which, which which I guess we'll discuss later. But, 
You know, uh, it, every Morbius story almost seems like every other one. It's like, oh, God, I'm starving. i got to drink blood. No, I don't want to drink blood because that's evil. But, oh, man, i got to drink blood because I'm dying. You know, and <laughs> so, and, and then Spider-Man and he exchange, a, you know, a few punches and, and things of that nature. Uh, so there's nothing new here in this story. Uh, it's not resolved, really. Uh, you know, he just goes back and, uh, you know, goes back into his number six little hidey hole or whatever. Oh, no, wait a minute. He doesn't. I'm sorry. He crawl. He does. But then he crawls back in the sewer and he goes and finds the lizard, which great. You know, I'm ready for shed, too. Uh, so. <laughs> Why don't we just shed- call it shat? <laughs> shed, too, the shedding. The shedding. And I also noticed that in the beginning, it, Peter Parker, it's the greatest day of my life. It's the greatest day of his life yeah. because he doesn't even think about Carly Cooper anymore. So uh, I noticed yeah. that too. I noticed yeah. that too. But no, otherwise this story was actually pretty average and pretty mediocre. But I only give it the, the grade that I do because I really like the characterization of uh, of Watu. You know, one thing I've noticed about the the book, I don't know if you guys have it in front of you, but you should feel the texture of the cover on six seventy nine and feel the texture of six eighty, which is a dollar more. I think they. I think the Marvel's been using cheaper paper for the covers. I think I, I saw that uh, as an editor's note or whatever for a Fantastic Four issue that was two ninety nine. Because I think the cover is made from the same paper that's used for the interior. That's why the toys cost so much. They need to pay for more paper. <laughs> I guess so. I don't. Maybe I'm just the only one that knows. That. It'll matter when they lower the price. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's see, Chris. What do you think of this one? Well, I'll start with a con. Um, okay. When Spider-Man was in that air duct and he sees Morbius for the first time and sitting there reading the comic and I say to myself in my head, he's just going to break in and kick him in the face. And I turn the page and that's exactly what he does. I knew that's what's going to happen because the current portrayal of Spider-Man is a moron with no impulse control. And if you actually look at these pages, the reason Morbius is even going in a frenzy in the first place is because Spider-Man attacked him and caused his like blood substitute chemical, or maybe it was real blood, crash on the floor, and the scent drove him crazy. So if Spider-Man had just sat there and observed for a few minutes instead of being like, holy crap, it's Morbius, I better kick him now, there wouldn't have been a problem at all. So this is a story that depends on character stupidity for there to be a conflict, and that's not very interesting to me. And the funny thing is, is if you look a few pages back, Morbius was on the wall of like suspects that were posted on the bulletin board, so Spider-Man shouldn't have even been that surprised to see him there. Um, my pro is that the first time you see Spider-Man... Um, He's, there's a sort of a full page of him dropping some bagels, and he said that uh, he got attacked by a rabid pigeon. And if you look closely, you'll see that his web line is snapped. So somehow a pigeon broke his web line, which has the strength of like solid steel fibers that like hold up suspension bridges. And so this is a pro because I think this is a pro because I think it's really cool that there are pigeons that are that tough. Well, Mutant I, pigeons. I think what we're going to find out later is that that pigeon is an agent of the devil break. Yeah. That's, yeah that's, Chico. So, uh, so my, my oh grade my for this gosh. issue is a C minus. What you said that the modern Spider-Man is a, an idiot. Do you think the the pre uh, one more day Spider-Man would have not hopped in the situation, and kicked him in the face? The I, def- I definitely don't think J. Michael Straczynski Spider-Man would have done that. 
because that's sort of a more experienced, grown-up person who sort of ha- has control over his powers and over himself and, and, and thinks about things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, you know, th- this whole... Yeah, so I think it's probably... I, I don't think it necessarily has to do with pre or post one more day. It's just how the writers now are writing him. I think if, you know, if one more day never happened, but um, Yost and Slot were still writing this, I think it probably the same thing would have happened. Right. Um, well, the same thing actually happened back when Jerry <laughs> Conway was writing Web of Spider-Man. There was a, when Harry was debating on being a, um, a superheroic Green Goblin, you know, and, and Spider-Man followed him to his lair, you know, instead of saying, boy, Harry's kind of messed up, you know, maybe I just I'll sit down and have a heart-to-heart with him. Now he just jumps in and kicks him in the face. So. <laughs> okay, so, so, so maybe I'm wrong, maybe this isn't bad writing, maybe Spider-Man just is an idiot. When you consider Spider-Man's, uh, you know, cause Spider-Man, as soon as he knows Morbius, he knows Morbius' backstory. He knows what's driving this character. He knows that this is someone who would like to be good, but is driven to do bad things, and you know, or depending on what writer's writing him. But, you know, you know the gist. Um, in that situation, knowing that, I do think Spider-Man would have dropped in and told him to stop or would, would have been trying to help him or something like that instead of just going to kick him in the face. I think you're right on that, Chris. Cool. Right, what was your grade again, Chris? C minus. <clears throat> C minus. We got a B minus at JR, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Don, what do you think, sir? <laughs> that was very entertaining, Chris. That <laughs> was, but I agree. Um, this well, issue... Keep in mind, that's the same guy That's the same guy that gave us Skittles the penny hooker. Exactly. <laughs> From the band <laughs> who brought you Skittles the penny hooker comes a really awesome uh, review. That was a long time ago. I'm a, uh, I'm a more gentle, reserved person <laughs> now. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this issue didn't leave much of an impression on me. Uh, if you can read my review, I don't, I don't want to say I was lazy on it, but I genuinely couldn't think of much to say about it. And Slot, I'm, I'm finding that if, if his stuff isn't like a mega crossover that's supposed to change the world forever but actually doesn't, it's sort of like either you know pretty decent and entertaining or aggressively mediocre. Um, this leans on the mediocre <laughs> side, although this isn't a bad issue, I don't think. This isn't – even though Chris nailed it with, with Spider-Man's stupid characterization in his actions, I think Peter – as a as a, as you know, as Peter Parker, generally was all right. Um, I don't know, but here, here's a question. This is also why I, I wish Kevin was still here to talk about this because he does go on and on about Lizard having the same storyline, but Morbius has the same storyline every time I read it. And this isn't—I I do like Morbius mainly because I'm a slut for the '90s show, but like, wow. I, I do question why what the appeal <laughs> of the character is if all he does is basically be emo about his disease, which he can never cure. Um, so, like, while I do appreciate the character from a nostalgic purposes, he, 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 him in this issue didn't leave much of an impression on me. Um, I thought the art was very, very 90s in sort of a good and bad way. I, I, I thought it was hit or miss. There was one specific page where literally, literally, the operative, optimum, um, uh sense of the word, the character's clothes change in every single panel. Every single panel, the characters of close change, and it's supposed to take place over the same over the course of a few seconds, not not different days. It says the next day, and you see like both Owato and Peter enter a Horizon Labs. Their clothes change in every single panel, and that's like <laughs> that's a mistake on both Maggie Clark's uh, hands and on Steve Wacker's hands. How did anybody miss that? 
Um, you're you're absolutely right. I'm looking at it now. It's with them sort of walking down the street in the hallway. On the internet. <laughs> they could be doing that. Um, I thought that this issue also made Max Modell to be kind of a tool. Like he 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 pulls this whole you know like Spider Man, you're to blame for this because you showed up and tried to save people's lives. Not only is that a tired thing, but like I do like how how people who, who ran around and saw what's going on said that this guy's crazy because he says. Listen, everyone, uh, Michael Morbius is an old college buddy of mine. You know, we, we did musical together, and, like, I won't, I won't let you harm him. And everybody's like, they should be saying I'm calling the effing cops because Morbius is a, is a, a known killer. I don't care if he's doing science. Like, they, it doesn't matter whether Models knows him or not. They should call him on, you know, housing a killer in the Horizon Labs. Although Hello, times, everyone. This is my friend Jeff Dahmer, and you'll leave him alone and pay him respect that he deserves. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, He's making science. <laughs> We're doing this in the name of science. I'm calling the police. <laughs> um, I will say a pro though, because I, I did a lot of comments. <clears throat> I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be done with that. Um, I did. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I was just clearing my throat. I'm sorry. That was all right. I did think that the opening splash page with uh, Spidey looked very much like Mike Ringo's work, the late Mike Ringo, because I did mm-hmm. like how he drew Spider-Man in that one. And I do like Spider-Man's genuine, like, uh, uh, I, I don't know, um, his, him being, I, I like him being proactive. I mean, he's, he's morbid. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, run around, you know, like, what am I doing? What do I do? Like, he did a lot back in the Brand New Day era. So every time Spider-Man's sort of, like, acting like Spider-Man, even if he is kind of, like, you know, being a bit of an idiot... I do appreciate him just being an out and out superhero. So I'll, overall, I'll give this issue a C. Okay. Uh, George, we haven't gotten you, right? No. Okay, hit it. Um, this is one of the the least offensive, I think, issues I've read for a while. Um, Carly's not in it, so that's a plus. That automatically ups to that grade. Um. No, I mean it's just—I mean it's just an okay Morbius story. Uh, it, it doesn't break any new ground, um, but I mean it's—it is—it does feel like it's just spinning its wheels right now. You know, it's like it's more like just a filler story. Um, you know, to introduce the job at Tricorp, um, to introduce the new Watchu guy. I guess we watch who Jackson's going to play some sort of part in the end of the Earth or end of days or what the hell ever. So I guess that's why we're getting more about him now. Um. Yeah, I mean, just a fairly pedestrian story. I mean, I didn't hate it. I didn't. Uh, I didn't love it. Um, probably. You know, probably a B minus for me. I I enjoyed the artwork. Uh, that's yeah. really all I got. I mean, I didn't, didn't. There was nothing in this that made me want to like, you know, like, you know, throttle Spidey Dude or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'll give it a C, uh, pretty much along the lines of George. Nothing too bad, nothing too awful. The artwork just didn't really do it that much for me, I, with the exception of what Don said about that opening page with the bagels. Uh, that I, I thought that was an okay splash. Um, I have no interest in the lizard coming back for ch- chat take two. Um, this, <laughs> this issue mainly is... Um, Spidey is kind of behind... I, I think he's kind of takes a back seat to the character development of uh, Uatu and Morbius. Um, he's just kind of there. And after hearing Chris's great pigeon analogy and he kicked somebody in the face because I'm an idiot line, uh, I just thought that was awesome. One thing that I did like from the artist, um, it reminded me of 
past Spider-Man books where you kind of saw um, it's on like the third page where you see the schematics for Horizon Labs. It kind of reminded me of back in the day when the annuals used to have a schematic of what Spider-Man's uh, apartment used to look like, the Daily Bugle, stuff like that. I thought that was kind of neat. And it shows you where Morbius's lab is in the basement, stuff like that. So just a see out of me, I've read a lot worse, and I've read a lot better. Uh, moving on to Amazing 680. Uh, looks like it's another Marvel team-up of Spidey and the Human Torch, who died a year ago, but he got better. Uh, written by uh, Dan Slott and Chris Yost again. Uh, you gotta, you guys are going to have to help me with the, the name. Giuseppe Amencoli. There you go. He did the art. George, you start with this one. You ended, you start on this one. What do you um, think, sir? It's basically Human Torch and Spidey go into space to rescue yeah, John Jameson. To rescue John Jameson. Um, one yep. thing that the, – the, the biggest thing here that jumped <clears throat> off the page at me was was towards the end, you know, when John comes in and, he's, and he finds Spidey in the, uh, in, uh, in the torch, and he says, come with me if you want to live, you know, like oh, Arnold. Ter- Terminator homage, yes. Yeah, um – Slot throws in a lot of these movie one-liners. Remember, uh, he did it back during the Sinister Six when the Sinister Six were fighting uh, the Frightful Four. You know, and uh, and he or not the Frightful Four, but Modok and all those other guys. Yeah. And he and he made Modok say, "Yours is the superior intellect." That was from Star Trek. Uh, it's like, oh, dude, yeah. if, if you want to underscore the threat that that Spidey and the Torch are in space and they're about to die, don't throw John in here with a one-liner. You know, and it's more of the same. I've had this ongoing thing now where everybody's kind of fighting for the gag. Now, when the torch is in there, it makes sense. I was just going to say, the torch can get away with quippage. When the torch is in there, it makes sense. But, I mean, but but John Jameson doesn't need to be coming in here and spouting off a one-liner from a movie. It's, you know, it's just out of place. It's a little jarring. Um, I do like the idea of space zombies. I mean, that's that's entertaining, at least. Um, Didn't it kind of jump out at you that we just did zombies with the Fantastic Four a few issues ago? On an island? It did me. <laughs> on an island. <laughs> we had pirate zombies, remember? That wasn't a few issues ago. That was, what, last year? That was in the what? summer. Middle, that was last summer. Um, so? So? And we're going back to, we're <laughs> going back to the well with space zombies here. Um, yeah. and I, I don't know. I mean, you got more goofy stuff thrown in. It's. I'm glad to see the torches back. I never really thought the torch was going anywhere back, uh, you know, when they did that whole jackassy black issue. Um, <laughs> so you and jackassy, I swear. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if something's just ridiculous, that's that's what it gets called, jackassy. Um, and then we have some kind of boring filler at the end with uh, Cyclops and I don't know some girl I'm supposed to give two shits about. Um, well, that's just an ad in all the Marvel books. That's yeah. You know. So I don't I don't know I mean there wasn't anything too dynamic, uh, but so there's nothing earth shaking there's nothing that makes me want to slap somebody again Carly wasn't here so that's a plus, um, but again you kind of got people fighting for the same one liners so uh, or for you know to be funny so yeah I'm gonna give this one a C plus. Okay, Jr. Well, <clears throat> didn't CBR give this like four and a half stars out of five or something and say it was everything that a Spider-Man comic should be or something. So Shock it sounds about C- right. C- CBR said that that is weird. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, after all, so then we should probably take CBR's word for a riot and not bring up it. You know, and if we bring up anything critical about it, we're just a bunch of haters. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I really wanted to like this issue, but I was really disappointed in it. 
partly because, you know, John Jameson is worse. John Jameson is probably the worst damsel in distress uh, of all of Spider-Man. I mean, the guy gets in trouble more times. I mean, I mean, how many times are we going to have this guy goes up in space, something goes wrong, and they have to bail his ass out? Uh, I mean, didn't we just have something uh, uh, not too long ago? Wasn't it the story where Marla died or whatever, you know, where they, mm-hmm. they shot the rocket ship off from New Jersey of all places? And, uh, yeah. you know, so, it, it, you know, so we already know that we're treading on ground, you know, well-traveled ground here. Uh, Jonah was just almost too psychotic in this episode. I mean, or this this story, you know, when he's going and he's telling Max how Horizon Labs is a is a danger and uh you know he's going to make sure everybody knows about it or something and it's like you know th- this isn't a concerned father i mean this is psychotic i mean joan has always been a little bit over the top anyway you know and joan has always been a bit too emotional and he says things that he probably shouldn't but th- this is even to me this is this is even beyond uh jo- jonah's normal hysteria um this is just grossly overdone and uh, let's see what and the jokes just really don't. I mean, for for a guy who wrote the 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 the, the, the classic uh, Spider-Man Human Torch miniseries, uh, okay, uh, for the guy who who wrote that, I mean, the jokes just really don't uh, don't really uh, uh, register here. I mean, I do like the fact that your villains suck, and that's a direct reflection on you. I did like that line. Yeah. Uh, but most of them just kind of feel, you know, flat, like they were they were kind of forced, uh, mm-hmm. and just really didn't seem to didn't seem to work. Uh, so I was I was just very disappointed in it and uh, give it a C minus. Are you are you kind of frustrated with the Marvel team up ish of the Amazing Book? Uh, well, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I mean, we had the Avengers and Spider Island. Um, well, we had the Fantastic Four with the zombies last summer. Well, I mean, we're going to have the Avengers and Ends of the Earth too, are, uh, as well. Exactly. Aren't we? Yeah, that's it, never. It, that's not going to end anytime soon. I don't know. Why? It's gone through periods where it's done that. Remember the remember the post reboot, the, the the after the reboot, where every issue seemed like a Marvel team up because uh, yeah, you can't keep the numbers up on this book without throwing the Avengers or somebody else into it. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much the team up aspect. It's just that everything is a crossover now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that—that's kind of that's that's what it seems mm-hmm. like more or like to me. You know, everything's a crossover, everything's an event, everything's you know throw in everything in the kitchen sink. You know, just uh, you know run the engine as hard and, and fast as it can because it's going to give out someday. You know, and so it's uh, so I yeah I'm tired of it. But I think it's it's endemic of a bigger problem in in with with Marvel overall. It's not just Spider Man, right? And you're you're a big fan of the slot. Human Torch miniseries. Oh, too. I loved it. Like, yeah. I, like I am, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Who haven't we had? Chris, we haven't heard your two cents. Well, I actually enjoyed the dialogue between Spider-Man and the Human Torch. Um, I thought their quips were funny. I, I liked uh, Spider-Man ruining the TV season for Human Torch. There was a Walking Dead reference in there that I thought was funny because I was frustrated with this, the same thing that Spider-Man mentioned, that they're still at the freaking farm in that show. And uh, I, I like Torch calling Spider-Sense your special power that tells you when to be scared. Um, <laughs> so that was, I agree. Those I'm are good lines. So I think uh, 
So I think there's good banner. I think Dan Slott writes this sort of team up very well, and Chris Yost, who, if yeah, I, I'm just making an assumption that Chris Yost is probably the one writing most of the dialogue, because when there's a guest writer, I usually assume that the main writer is sort of writing the plot, and then the you know the the guest is filling in the details. But that might not necessarily be true. But whatever um, Chris Yost's role in this was, I think he he. Uh, gets the relationship between Spider-Man and Human Torch pretty well, too. Um, now, on the negative side, I, I think all of these quips and jokes should have been happening while something more interesting was going on. There's just way too much time in this issue spent with us just wandering around the space station or hanging out at Johnny's place while he's dancing in his underwear. And I think this comic would have been more fun if it dedicated more pages to action and just have the characters crack jokes while they're fighting or running away from danger or something. And when the action does come, I, I don't really think it was that interesting. I guess I have, I have a question. Um, have these sort of Octobot zombies appeared before this? Yeah, they're all over the place. Do yeah. they, do, 600, etc. Uh, okay. It's all... Yeah. Do they... Um, so I, I'm kind of thinking like in the in Batman the animated series the Mad Hatter's mind control card sort of gave also gave people superhuman strength. Is, is that true of these people? Or are they are they more just like normal people? I don't think well, they're taking crawl, over people. Just crawling on the wall, so I think it gives well, them something. Yeah, but they're in space. There's no gravity. Oh well, that's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> he just hit you with the science hammer, son. He did the yeah. science hammer. Well, so, when I read it, I, I envisioned them. Yeah. Like, are these guys really that dangerous? Are they just, like, astronauts with, like, crap on their heads making their eyes glow? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it implies that Spider-Man is just completely ineffectual without his webs. Because that's that's the reason why, you know, they get cornered by these robots and, like, the zombies are supposed to be a scary cliffhanger. Because, holy shit, we're in fucking space and, like, webs don't work. <laughs> What's Spider-Man going to do without webs? And, <laughs> Like, but, but, but I think zero gravity should be a place where someone like Spider-Man, with his agility and coordination, should like be able to cut loose. And I think you know there's a missed opportunity to show just how you know unstoppable he could be without the, a, you know the constraint that gravity normally puts on him. Um, I never thought about and, that way. You know, and so I, I thought you know I've read the issue after this, and it kind of has a similar problem with the characters just thought faster. A lot of the problems could have been avoided, but it's not quite as egregious as what I had to say about the last issue. Um, so, I don't know. I've been vacillating between maybe a B- and a C+. Plus. I think I think just the sh- more more exciting things should have happened. There's, there's, I, I, so I think I'm going with a, a C+. Plus. Okay. Who have, George, did I get you? Who haven't I gotten? Yeah. Uh, Donovan, hit it. He's <laughs> um, have crazy for something every month. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Chris, you're doing great, by the way. Oh, thank you. In my opinion, I think that this is another one of those, you know, ineffective stories that, that people. The reason why CBR um, likes this run of uh, dance lot that I would assume, because I don't want to put words in their mouth, is that like it's just kind of like carefree, uh, non consequential Spider-Man stories where he just has adventures. And that, in theory, it's not is not like CBR is giving a good a good review to this book. Uh, well, well, besides the ass munching they're doing, I mean, like, 
If I were to assume that, like, you know, it's just Spider-Man in space with the Human Torch, that's, that's a fun idea. But the yeah. execution, it's not bad. It's not horrible. But I feel that in this story particularly, there's a lot more drama in uh, – or I should say melodrama where they want to add some weight to it. And I think that makes it fall flat. Because, like, uh, I'm basically going to say my review of the next issue without well, – well, kind of applying it here. That, like, J. Jonah Jameson, this issue, is such a buzzkill. Um, I, I, I question whether he's psychotic or not. I didn't really look at it that way. But uh, he's, <laughs> he's, either, he's either, you know, blustering. He's like, ah, everybody do what I say because I'm the mayor and you have to. Or he's like, I love my son so much. If anything happens to him, I'm going to rain on you like, you know, like, like, like the fucking blitz. And it's like, <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel that Jonah's... Jonah's concern for his son, we would, we would say it's out of character if he didn't show concern for his son. But because what, what, you know, him being sad or whatever is like given like one page worth of notice, it makes the drama very, very, feel very brief and by that, by that nature very cheap and hollow. Because we have one page of Jonah feeling sad and then like the rest of it is Spidey and the Human Torch jacking around in space. And <laughs> that, to, 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 to uh, compare with like the whole time traveling story the last two issues ago, I enjoyed that better because it took itself less seriously. When the book tries to add drama, this is something that Slot does. Slot doesn't re- – he, he likes the characters, but he doesn't really focus on the drama that Spider-Man has to, to the point where I think it would be enough. And when he does, it's so brief and so cheap that it feels inconsequential and essentially meaningless. So while overall the story is fine, it's, I, I don't really enjoy it because it's, it's, it's sort of a goofy – a goofy uh, episode on the on the onset, and in the background is this, this there's this like melodrama that we don't really care about because it's again like Jr. said another story with J- John Jameson being a damsel in distress, and that's that's a cliche by this point. Um, mm-hmm. A positive, yes. Um, just because you brought it up a second ago, uh, and I've brought it up before. What was the last time you can think of a dance lot story where you felt any sort of sense of urgency or or real peril for the characters involved? <clears throat> Uh, I might have, but I don't. I don't remember right now. I no. mean, I mean, I, I don't want to say. Okay, I don't want to say that Dan Slott's a horrible writer. I genuinely don't think he is, but I feel that um, he he's putting a certain amount of effort in Spider-Man, where I think that the character has a lot more complexities than he's giving off, and people like that because it's basically Spider-Man being happy. Where I kind of want Spider-Man to be a lot more sophisticated than he's been showing. Um, I was gonna say a positive. Like I, I actually like Kevin Cully's art in this. I, I generally think that it's a little too hatched. Uh, and this art, I think, is pretty good. Although the the splash page at the end, uh, I think Spider-Man looks like a, like an action figure, which is ironic considering what we covered today. Uh, big time. <laughs> uh, uh, I'll disagree with George. I thought the space zombies was absolutely ridiculous. Why? Are the, yeah. Why do robots turn people into zombies? Are they going to eat their brains? Or are they going to steal their science? Like that made no sense. And it was basically just to just to you know, kiss and hug the zombie fra- the zombie uh, uh, phase that people are going through <laughs> right now. I-, I thought that was just really annoying. And uh, but overall, you know, this and the next issue essentially are kind of they're not the best, mediocre, but they're not bad or horrible either. So I'll give it a straight in the middle C. Okay. I'm going to give it a B. I liked it a little bit more than Don. Um, pros, I, the equipage between Human Torch and Spider-Man is always a plus. Dan Slott and, and Mr. Yost did a great job uh, doing that. The Like Chris said, the line about the Walking Dead, and he caught the Human Torch up on the uh, uh, seasons. Also, I enjoyed the the sense that uh, his dig on the spider sense, like also what Chris said. 
the cons, uh, it feels a little uh, like we've gone here before. Like I mentioned earlier with the zombies, we just did that a year ago. That's kind of old, um, etc. And, and another con is I, I, even though I like the quippage between the Human Torch and um, Spidey, I, I, I just am tired of Spider-Man taking a backseat in his own book again. I, 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 I liked the previous two issues a little bit better where it was a time travel story. It was a little too done in one. It introduced us to um, snacks or scraps. or Grady scra- yeah, scra- <laughs> Scraps. Scraps. <laughs> introduced a new character, which I think 679.1 was trying to do with the Uatu a little bit. But I want Spider-Man front and center in his main book. He has Avenging Spider-Man to be... Um, to do um, sidekick. The, the, the sidekick role. So, but this I thought was a little bit better than the Morbius issue. So a B out of me. And uh, moving on to another topic, we kind of got some sad news to pass along to you. Um, we're we're mixing the panelists up a little bit with the show. Uh, Kevin, who's been with me since episode one, and uh, Michael Bailey, who joined us probably uh, within our first or second year of the show have both decided that they uh, are, are can't commit to the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast, and they've um, basically sent me, I guess I feel like the boss, their resignation letters. So only these are in forms of MP3. So let's listen to Kevin first and hear his goodbye. So here's Kevin. Hi, guys. It's Kevin here. I'm sad to say that this will be my last recording as a regular member of the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. I've turned in my official resignation to Brad as a regular member. It's not that I don't love the show. I absolutely love being on this show. I have for, good lord, about five years now. And the problem is I just haven't had that much time to be on the show lately, as you've surely noticed. If you're a new listener, you might not even know who I am. Um... I've been in school for the past year, and it's been hard to get time to be on the show. I'm graduating in June, but then I'll be out in the world trying to get jobs as an actor, so I don't foresee a lot more time coming up. And at this point, I think you all know how I've felt about the book, Amazing Spider-Man, for a long time now. And I was looking at the slits this time. I've been seeing the advertisement for Ends of the Earth. And I just can't justify buying this book anymore on all these months that I don't have to have it for the podcast. I kept buying it for years after I wasn't enjoying it anymore, just so I could review it for the podcast. But now we're at a time where I go three months, maybe, without being on there. So that's three months of buying the book, and, and then I don't even read it because I don't like it. And I have to catch up with maybe eight issues when I do a show. So that's just not fun for me anymore. So, sadly... I'm taking my leave. I am leaving you with some great people, obviously. Uh, Brad and Zach, still around as the founding members of the show with me. can't believe it was just the three of us at the start. And they've got JR, who I consider a founding member. He only missed the first three episodes. You've got some fresh blood, like Donovan, Bertoni, great guys. I've enjoyed their podcasts for years and enjoyed the brief time I've gotten to podcast with them myself. Of course, George Berryman. <laughs> I love George. I know you all love listening to him as much as I do. George is the reason you don't mess with Texas, and he's the reason you don't mess with the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. 
Um, before I go, I guess I just want to say a few words to a few people. To Brad Douglas, one of the best friends I've ever had. I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on this show for so long, for asking me to when you first started the show with just three people, uh, for believing in me uh, for that, because I was really completely untested at the time, and, and that was an amazing thing for him to do for me. And for keeping me as a regular part of the show all this time that I have been on so rarely is just... Uh, it's just amazing of him, and he's an amazing guy, and I think all of you listening know that, and I think that's why you listen to this show. It's why I'm going to continue to listen to this show, um, because you just can't help but love Brad. Um, to Zach Joyner, another of my very good friends, who we also started this podcast with, um, all the ball-busting over the years, man, <laughs> I mean, somehow it just became a running joke to insult Zach. And I have to say, if it had randomly become a running joke to do that to me, I would not have handled it with as much grace and humor as Zach has. Because um, that can be a tough place to be in, really, as funny as it's been for the rest of us. So, thank you, Zach, for your good humor, and I hope you know it's all been in fun, and you are one of my best friends and one of the best people I've ever known. Ah... Uh, I'd like to go through everybody one by one, but the rest of the guys, you know how much I appreciate the time that we've spent on this podcast, talking, how much fun I've had, how much fun I'm still going to have listening to you guys. Um, I already miss Stella quite a bit. Stella is one of my favorite people, and she was one of the best parts of this show. I don't want to not say anything about her just because she's already gone. Um, I valued having her around quite a bit, and she has definitely been missed, I think, by everybody since she left, and I did not expect to be the first one to join her in leaving, um, but of course it was inevitable that we are running off together. Uh, the elopement will be coming soon, and we'll let you know about that. I think that's been a long time coming. Um, and finally, uh, to my friend, my old good friend, Steve Wacker, if you're listening, uh, I just want to say one last time, prison ass. I just want to leave you with those words, uh, because I know how much you've enjoyed them over the years. And thank you for listening, buddy. Thanks. Uh, and finally, to the listeners of this show, the people that have allowed me to uh, do this for so long by listening, by enjoying, and by not trying to get me booted, uh, <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. It really does mean the world, because doing this is so much fun, and it means nothing if you all aren't out there listening and enjoying uh, what we do, and I hope you'll continue to listen and enjoy the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast, because God knows I will. So one last time, thank you everybody. I hope I will see you around again, digitally or otherwise, and best of luck. Thanks. Okay, and now let's take a listen to Mr. Bailey's. Here we go. You know, I, I kind of want to start this with, hey everybody, it's your friendly neighborhood Michael Bailey, but that seems very obvious, so I'm not going to do it. So, uh, well, I guess I just did. Anyways, hey everybody, Michael Bailey here with, for lack of a better way to phrase it, a letter of resignation goodbye. Uh, it, it feels kind of weird doing this now because I haven't been on the show for about seven months now. Uh, but recent events in my life 
meaning that my work schedule has changed to the point where I don't have weekends off anymore, um, or at least a weekend off to record with everybody, combined with the fact that I've just kind of lost interest in the Spider-Man comics as a whole, at least the current ones, uh, have led me to think that it's it's probably time for me to, to step down and let other people have their say about the Spider-Man comics. Um, I This wasn't an easy decision to make. Uh, I really loved doing the Spider-Man Crawl Space, mainly because I loved recording with the people that I was recording with. I came into the show very late. You know, it's not like I was there from the beginning. It's not like I was there even a year into the begin. You know, into the show's existence. You know, they uh, Brad asked me to come on when it looked like maybe Kevin was stepping down. Kevin decided not to step down, and we all stayed on. And boy, was it a fun ride from then on out. Uh, but the time has come for me to just kind of move on and let other people have their say, people who are enjoying the books, or at least actively reading them. Because in all honesty, I haven't read an issue of Spider-Man, even though I bought them and they're sitting over next to me, as a matter of fact. Uh, I haven't read a Spider-Man comic in about seven months or so. So basically, Spider-Island is... The, the beginning of Spider Island was the last time that I even cracked one of the issues open. But I wanted to record this, uh, which I was going to probably do on my own, but Brad said, hey, could you record something for the show? And I thought, hey, we were both thinking of the same thing. Uh, to just kind of say goodbye to everyone on the show and everyone who listened, you know, kind of have my little Wizard of Oz moment where, you know, I tell somebody that I miss them most of all. And, uh, well, here we go. Uh, to Kevin, who is also leaving the show, uh, I'm going to miss you. You you were very angry a lot of the time, but never without reason and always with a good justification for your feelings. And now the words prison ass will forever be emblazoned in my head. To JR, man, <laughs> I always compared you to the Walter from the Jeff Dunham comedy thing. Uh, and and it's not a, an unfair comparison. So, but I think I think Walter, I'm gonna <laughs> just called you Walter. Oh my God, I'm leaving that in. Uh, Jr., I think I'm actually going to miss you most of all because you provided a perspective to these stories that I don't think any of us, uh, even Brad, uh, who's been reading since he was, I think he was a fetus when he started reading the Spider-Man books. Uh, but you provide uh, a perspective that only a person who's been reading the books as long as you have can have. And I've always appreciated that. And I always liked your This Week or This Month in Spider History segments because I always learned something new. To Stella, who left some time ago, but I never really got a chance to say goodbye. I'm just, I'm just going to miss you in general because I think you provided a very unique voice to the show that wasn't quite there before and was missing afterwards uh, to a certain extent I, th I think losing you was a was a big blow to the show not that it not that it couldn't go on but I, I just think you brought something to the crawl space that no one else could um, I, I don't know if that's because we don't have vaginas or not but you know whatever um, <laughs> there was my crude and crass comment to fit in with everybody else to Zach, um, don't let him give you too much shit, buddy. 
they uh, people pick on you, and you do good work. So, you know, just just stick up for yourself more, and and try not to be so glaring a target. Because, my God, you leave yourself wide open sometimes, and it's it's kind of amazing to see that it's just like, wow, I I really wouldn't have said that. But seriously, don't don't let them give you too much trouble because you're you don't really deserve it. Well, much anyways. To George, who is not a regular, but came on the show enough, well, what can I say? You you were the angry right hand of God that would come in every once in a while and lay the smack down on someone or something that deserved it, and it was always amusing, and I think I'm going to miss that a lot. And to Brad. Ah, Brad. You know, it, it's amazing that two people born so far away from each other and a year apart could have so much in common about everything else except who their favorite character is. Uh, you have built an empire online as far as being a Spider-Man fan, and this podcast is only the tip of that iceberg. And it has been a pleasure and an honor to call you friend, sir, and I'm glad that we can continue to still be friends after me leaving the show. And one day you and I will do that Hulk podcast. I just don't know when we're both going to have the time to do that. But uh, you take care, buddy. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come on uh, this show and be part of the fun that was the Spider-Man Crawl Space. And to Don and Josh and the guys coming in behind me, Strap in, guys. I know a lot of you have been listening to the show, but, you know, being on it month after month after month, it's a, it's a wild ride. So, uh, I guess this is Michael Bailey, and I am signing off. Oh, I almost forgot. Thank you to everybody that listens to the show and has written in questions for me. It, it, it was always amazing that people would take the time to, uh, to think of a question to ask me specifically that want, they wanted me to answer. And that always meant a lot. It was actually my favorite part of the show because I'm egotistical. And, uh, you know, it was really all about me. So, uh, which isn't true at all. But <laughs> anyways, thank you to the listeners that, uh, that supported the show while I was on it and didn't leave in droves because I became a part of the cast. But anyways, this is Michael Bailey for the moment. Signing off. Uh, let's open it up to the panel. I mean, George and Jr. and everybody. We, we've listened. We've interacted with these guys. We, we consider them like brothers. I would think. Jr., you the longest. Your thoughts on Kevin and Mr. Bailey dropping out? Well, um, or that, any final words to him? Well, that's not a, that's not a compliment to them to say that I would think of them as brothers, considering how much I think about my brother. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, but I don't know. First they came for Stella and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a literature loving Latin speaking school teacher. <laughs> then they came for Kevin and I didn't speak out because I wasn't an inspiring actor writer with a vampire fixation. <laughs> and then they came for Bailey and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a multitasking podcaster with a wife who was constantly trying to seduce him. So <laughs> so when they come for me, will there be anybody left to speak out? Um, boy, I, well, I really hate to see the, these guys go. I mean, I mean, you know, particularly Kevin. I mean, it's uh, like I said, Kevin was there even before I got there. And, uh, you know, I always uh, always enjoyed listening to his perspective and uh, and uh, 
you know, joking around with him and uh, making fun of him. And, uh, and of course, you know, Mr. Bailey uh, brought a certain amount of, uh, I don't know what to say with his, with his, all of his, uh, all the podcasts that he was doing, he brought a certain amount of, uh, I don't want I don't want to say pompousness or whatever, but he had, he had a certain, he had a certain uh, gravity to him. Uh, mm-hmm. And I always, don't we all, <laughs> what's that? Don't we all have a little gravity after <laughs> after all the gravity years add up? Yes, yeah. it, it just you know I mean because because some of it because Bailey sounded like he actually had some sense sometimes you know which, uh, <laughs> uh, so so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna miss you know both of my it's just a shame you know I understand the fact that obligations are you know you, you just got too many things going in your personal life i can relate to that about as much as anyone and uh and plus yeah i agree i've been struggling with the quality of the books myself so uh it's just mm-hmm. a shame that uh but you know like i like i mentioned you know the books really aren't written for, and drawn for us they're written and drawn for whacker so that's all that matters uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah i'm i'm going to miss these guys and uh, i wish wish uh, all the luck in the world to them and whatever they wind up uh yeah. trying and, to do and and they've got an open invitation. Anytime that they, they want to come back, they can if they'd like. You don't even have to review the books. I, I, I miss their uh, their presence and their friendship, etc. George, any final words for these two fine men? Oh, that's a sad day for prison ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Isn't it though? Um, Isn't it though? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I've known them for, for years now. Uh, became friends with both of them, through, specifically through this website. And uh, I'll especially miss Kevin's insight. Um, Kevin had a way of looking at things sometimes that uh, that I didn't yeah. see and that I always appreciated. Uh, so did Bailey. Bailey really had a way of looking at things or considering things differently than I did. Um, so I'll miss seeing those two different viewpoints. And uh, I'll just miss them, you know, just both in general. I mean, they were, you know, they both were very funny. Um, yeah. And they both... Um, they both really knew their their comic book lore, and uh, this is um, you know it's it's a very sad day for it. We we lost Stella, and then we mm-hmm. lost Kevin, and we've lost Mike, and now we've got three panelists who've left the show just because they they don't want to keep. Well, not just because. I mean, there's other things involved, but also in that is that they just don't want to read Amazing Spider-Man anymore. Yeah, and I I think that says a lot when three panelists on the you know number one Spider-Man crawl space on the internet duck out saying OMFG this book sucks I can't do this anymore so I wish them all the best in all their endeavors um, I hope they're not strangers and you know we'll miss the hell out of them no doubt Don any final words for the two, these two guys um, not that they've died, like Jr. said when Stella left. <laughs> well, not, not I to, love that moment, by the way. Not to eulogize them, but I do. I was telling Chris earlier today before we recorded that. Um, I mean, one of the very first episodes of Crossways I heard of was uh, you guys going over one more day. Um, ironically, yeah. Chris was on, and I, and like, you know, when you first listen to a podcast, it takes you a little while to differentiate which host is which. But I always remember Kevin first saying. Um, we're gonna say it too loud, but like, like he says, "Oh, the, Joe Casada splatter shot all over my comic book," and like I was like, "Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that guy." Um, I mean, Michael Bailey is always gonna be around. He has he has a lot of stuff. He he still has the shows that he does. But um, I mean, we all have Facebook, and yeah, they're not dead. They're just they're just uh, trying to you know continue their lives. Um, I really don't feel uh, like I'm 
adequate to really talk about them because I'm really speaking as a fan of the show, uh, especially with Kevin, you know, like, like these guys and how, how much good they did on the website. I, one of my favorite episodes you guys ever did was uh, reviewing like 605, 606, 607, talking about like the Black Cast Return. You guys said, like Michael and Kevin especially, but all, all six of you had really good discussions on where the books were heading and the kind of quality and like the whole, you know, was Michelle Gonzalez raped or whatever. Like there were some, mm, there were yeah. some classic moments in the podcast, specifically thanks to those guys. And I really, th- again, speaking as a fan, it's, it's sad to see them go. And um, I only hope that um, there'll be a time where they, they can pop on for a Jeopardy episode or whatever, and we'll see them again. Right. Right. And Chris, I know you've listened to the show for a few years and, and Chris is going to be, we talked about a little bit earlier. We're going to, as we shuffle the chess pieces around, George and Don and Bertoni are now regulars, and I'm, and uh, Chris is going to be, for lack of a better word, a fill-in when when someone like Bertoni, who's not on this episode, or Zach, is not able to come in on this episode. Uh, Chris is going to pitch hit for us, and as we've heard so far in this episode, he's been doing an amazing job. So, Chris, thank you for helping out and being a, a, a pitch hitter. Any final words to Mike and, and uh, Kev? Well, first of all, I'll just say that it's a shame that they sort of have to share this time to say goodbye between the two of them because, you know, there's so much to say about each of them uh, yeah. individually. Um, you know, Michael is just a podcasting machine and a, just he's all over the place. We're never going to have to worry about not being able to find a podcast where we can, you know, hear him talk, and that's fortunate. But it's just a shame that, you know, he can't contribute to this one anymore. Um, but, you know, I totally don't blame anybody who just can't take Amazing Spider-Man anymore or just doesn't have the time or a combination of both because, you know, I totally get that. Um, Kevin, I-, I think of everybody on the panel, he has always been the person that I look to as somebody whose opinion was most likely to be close to mine. Um, sometimes not like Ron Mars Witchblade. I hate that. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just threw that in there as an example of you know sometimes it's we we don't line up always. But uh, but he, if in general you know he's always someone who's sort of close to my age, uh, close to my outlook on life and and writing. And he's, uh, his comments and recommendations have been the ones that I took to heart the most and it, as being an indicator of how much I would enjoy what he was talking about myself. So, uh, you know, he, he made me laugh the most out of anybody on the podcast. And I think his commentary was always some of the smartest. So I, I you know, I, I think uh, both of these people brought something that won't be able to be replaced. Yeah, I would agree. And and to sum it up, they're they're two of my best friends, even though we've never met in person, and they're they're going to be greatly missed. And uh, I I totally can understand that's a time commitment, and also not digging Spider-Man by the current team is is two factors of uh, not being able to be on the show. But again, as I said earlier, they both have a, a spot if they ever want to come back, if they want to just chit chat it up for a month. Uh, they will always have a place at the Spider-Man Crawl Space panel. All right, moving on to message board questions. We do uh, recommendations or not? Oh, I, yeah, I, feel free. I'm not going to be able to have time to answer questions if we do recommendations, probably. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to like screw everything up 
being the new... Don, we can hit recommendations. Chris has to go, and so does JR, so we're not going to pass up the message board questions aimed at these two guys. So we're going to hit Chris first, since he has to go. Um, We're going to look for... Let me look for Bertoni, who is not on the show, but he made time to ask questions for everybody. Chris, your best and worst moments of the Venom series so far. Okay, hold on. I think my favorite moment was in Venom number five, which was the issue that Flash first learned that his father had started drinking again, and Flash started reminiscing about all the abuse his father put him through. So Flash has to track him down to pull him off the streets, and he tells himself that he's only doing it for his mother, and after this, his father is dead to him. Well, he finds his father drunk, and they share some hurtful words, but... Then Flash's dad has to go to the hospital, and it turns out the reason he started drinking again was because he was—he found out that he was dying. And uh, there's this moment where his father on the hospital bed reaches out to him, and Flash can't bring himself to forgive him at that moment, and he, you know, rolls out on him. And uh, Betty is waiting for them for Flash outside, and I think the page of Flash sort of collapsing into her arms is just beautiful. Um, until yeah. that point, Betty had been written as pretty needy and annoying, and uh, but Shocking. this this issue showed that she's you know she's there for him and can be be his shoulder to cry on, for lack of a a better way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I just felt like that was you know this isn't just a sort of a Venom spin off like Lethal Protector. This this has a weight to it that that it belongs in the canon of of Spider Man. Um, the worst moment, I think I'm going to cheat a little bit because to me the worst moment was in an issue that was not written by Rick Remender. Um, I don't know, if, should I go into spoilers for... for you, the, you just gave spoilers, so feel free to go ahead. Okay, yeah, but this is for <laughs> a, a new one. This is for 13.3, where um, it's written by Jeff Parker, and I haven't read anything else by him. I hear he's usually pretty good, but I didn't like this issue. And Flash and some other superheroes have been killed, and they went to hell... And Mephisto is there, and he offers to let them out of hell only if they promise to do anything he wants them to do at some time at a later date. And I'm um, not bringing this up because of one more day. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong about this story direction, but in execution, the characters don't even talk about it first. They take the deal on the same page as it's offered without any dialogue in between. They just sort of put their hands in a circle and sort of the go team huddle. And uh, and they're pledging their services to the effing devil. You would think they would at least talk about it first. And, and so I, I felt like that was sort of rushed and, and just sort of shoehorning a story that should have been explored a little more. Um, so that so that I think was my least favorite moment. Right. Uh, Iron Patriot from China has a question for Chris: Which Spider-Man villain should die and stay dead? Venom. <laughs> oh wow! I, I must. I, I, think I, I think I missed that question because uh, I didn't think about it beforehand. I don't. I'm not really big on killing characters because I, I think usually there's always something that you can do with them, and I think it's okay to kill them if it makes the living characters more interesting. Um, so there's not like some character that I have a grudge against any villain that I think should just die and just never be seen again. Um, you know, I'm a little. I think I'm a little sick of that. I don't know if he's exactly a villain, but I'm a little sick of that son of Wolverine, Dakin. Mm-hmm. But he's, I don't, he's not a Spider-Man villain specifically, but that's just who popped in my head. Like, I'm tired of this guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess I just don't have an answer to the Spider-Man villain. I, what about Typeface from the Paul Jenkins? <laughs> he, is, he is dead. 
Um, oh, well, Larry beat me to it, yeah. <laughs> she was killed by uh, Mac Gargan, <clears throat> Mac Gargan Venom in one of the times oh, of the Civil oh, War. Right. Just, yeah. Craven's daughter. Oh, yeah. yeah Skittles. All the, Skittles, yeah, the penny hooker. Yeah, yeah. All, the whole Craven family, everybody but <laughs> Craven. And even Craven, they should all just be dead. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for giving me that. Forever. That was a group effort there. Uh, Steve Rogers from New York City. Chris, uh, rookie. Okay, rookie. Sing your school's fight song loud and proudly anyway. What are some of your best and worst things about working for the site? Um, worst things probably how much. Because you've been a reviewer. How many years have you been a reviewer? started with amazing, 2006. right? 2006. Yeah. Um, the worst thing I think these days is the amount of time it takes. Um, especially since I'm really busy being in law school, like, you know, just like scanning like the pages and cropping them and uploading them, that, that takes an hour and, you know, that's an hour that I would otherwise spend sleeping because I can't shirk anything else. Um, so, you know, sometimes it is like, it is, it gets to be a chore, but you know, the best thing about it is that it's a way to practice writing in a in a context that's very fun and for in a forum that I know will actually that an audience will actually go to. Yeah, and that's I love how you always put please comment. Yeah, and you you, you really went through the gambit of all those uh, Venom thirteen point one two three etc. Yeah, I I reviewed all six issues that that's came out weekly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, by the way. Uh, Pro- Proto Goblin, no location. Chris, what's your favorite Spider-Man story, writer, and artist? Oh, um, my favorite story is Craven's Last Hunt. Um, and I think people have talked about that a lot, so I don't think I need to go into too much detail about it. I think it's popular with a lot of people, and I sort of like the psychological aspect. And cool moments. I like Craven getting the drop on Spider-Man, taking his place, Spider-Man digging himself out of the grave, um, Craven shooting himself. I, I just really enjoyed that one. Favorite writer is JMS probably because he was writing when I was like like a younger teenager when comics feel like they're at their coolest and so looking back it's um, <laughs> you know probably nostalgia maybe but you know even going back to it it's definitely a more grown up take on Peter Parker than most other runs um, and I, I like feeling like this character has actually learned something from all the experiences he's had and that he shouldn't be the same as he was in the 80s or 70s because of everything he's been through and I know some Marvel editors said that, you know, that sort of attitude is selfish, but I don't care because I read comics for myself. Um, <laughs> you, know, my, 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 you, you want the Spider-Man that hops in the room and, and doesn't hit Morbius in the face, with the, kick him in the face. I yeah. mean, I want someone yeah. who just is sort of like not, I don't know how to put it exactly, but a little bit more, maybe a little bit more mature. serious, a little bit more mature, you know, still making jokes. But you know, not trying too hard. I think humor came out in JMS's run, but it wasn't forced. It just appeared when it came about naturally. And I think with Dan Slot, it's you know really forced all the time. Um, my favorite artist is Romita Senior. Uh, nice. Steve Ditko invented the character's look, and but but his art style looks a little weird to me. Uh, there's sort of a, more of an elegance to Ramita, and it's sort of my benchmark for what Spider-Man is supposed to look like. Right. 
TNR 105, uh, Chris, seeing as how Marvel solicited Venom 11 as the big return of Toxin, how disappointed were you when it ended up just being a cameo from a symbiote with no explanation of how it was separated from Patrick Mulligan? Actually, I don't really care about Toxin that much, uh, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> you know, I think I mentioned in my review that I was sympathetic towards Kevin specifically because I, he posted something about how he ordered that issue just to see Toxin, but then it was right. just like the symbiote in a test tube, and, and and then sort of a couple issues later, they implied that, you know, the, the host, Patrick, was just killed off panel by Blackheart because Blackheart needed a sample of the symbiote to perform a magic ritual. So if I were a Toxin fan, I'd be pissed. But, you know, it doesn't really bother me that much. And I think if Kevin were here, you know, he'd probably have something to say about it. That sucks. Um, the word prison ass would be used several times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wombat909 from Winterfell uh, as you're a fan of The Walking Dead Chris would you prefer the show to follow the comic book faithfully or j are you open to new storylines and diverse changes okay so I'm open to changes because I still want to be surprised and, and, I, and I think an hour long TV show has the potential to expand and improve on what you can just fit on a comic that's only a couple pages long and I, and I like how one of the characters who dies really early on in the comics has survived and has become really important and has turned out to be one of the better characters. The only problem is that when the show tries to introduce completely new characters that weren't in the comic, the characters mostly aren't that good. And uh, I'm thinking about T-Dog. He, there's just nothing yeah. to that guy. He doesn't do anything. Um, there's this new character, Beth, who's like spent the whole season comatose and slitting her wrists. And she's just adding nothing. Uh, and uh, yeah. and I, I will say, though, that a poster, Sarcasmic, I think, posted a spoiler about tonight's episode that I read. And if it's true, and there's a picture in the link that corroborates what he said and makes me think it's true, um, they're screwing up something that to me is like a non-negotiable aspect of the comic that they have to get right. Like there's a way, wow. there's a very specific, just iconic Walking Dead death from the comic books that really sets the tone of the entire series. And there's, you know, if this spoiler is true, it really sucks it up in a way that sucks all the poignancy out of a key scene that, you know, reflects I think on the entire series. And uh, I'm not gonna say what it is, but if there's one <clears throat> scene that they shouldn't screw up, it's this one. And Hollywood. So, you know, it's, well, it's, because, it's because, you know, Frank Darabont's gone now. Yeah, I think a lot of characters, like, they just last week killed off a character who was, like, pro who I think was only there because he really likes working with Darabont. And, uh, you know, as soon as Darabont leaves, that guy's dead. And it was one of the characters that they got right. And, you know, the character that I'm thinking about who's... Who I'm thinking about is leaving the show in this next episode is also, you know, rumor has it he's signing on to Darabont's new show. So I think there's sort of an exodus of really good characters, you know, that are leaving with Darabont and they are they're being written out in a way that I think ruins, you know, their reason for being there in the first place. Like, yeah, I'll just say it. Like, there's a character in a spoiler that I read. He dies in the next episode, and the way he dies ruins the character's reason for being in the comic in the first place. Um, so I, I've rambled on about Walking Dead a little bit too long. It's all good. It's all good. Any final words before you go? That was our last question. Okay. Um, thanks for having me on.
Um, no problem. You did, uh, you did awesome, I'll sir. I'll around for like a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, and just to listen to you guys. But uh, when I'm out, I'll let you know. And uh, thanks for having me. This was... No except for when we spent that much time talking about porn. <laughs> no, no offense, George. No offense. Um, yeah, we don't do that in Spider-Man here, sir. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Love it. All right, JR also has to go. So <laughs> JR also has to go, so let's hit JR's questions up first. Uh, Bertoni has one for JR. What existing non-villain supporting cast member would make a good goblin, i.e. Mrs. Muggins, Grady Scraps, or Liz Allen? <laughs> not so sure if this is a serious question or not, but uh, <laughs> but since it is since it is our good friend Bertoni, I will answer it. I'm like blowing it off like I do some of the other questions I deem to be less serious. Uh, <laughs> I actually thought that if you had to, uh, that Liz Allen would have made a decent goblin because the the goblins the nature of the goblin character is it has a a, a very strong personal relationship to, to uh, Peter Parker and obviously you had that with the Osborns and with Liz in a way being an Osborn and being in the comic from the very beginning and also having her own you know Liz has her own issues uh, she has her own issues with Peter, even outside the uh, the whole Spider-Man thing. Uh, I would have thought that that might have been uh, that might have had uh, possibly might have had some legs as a story, but you know, obviously, I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, we've had enough goblins. We've got the best one, you know, back from the dead now, and uh, I just <laughs> I wish he would get back in the suit, frankly, instead of uh, no doubt. Instead of what? you know, I think I think his time in the Bendisverse has worn itself out. And, uh, you know, after a little rest, I, I wish he would get back in the green and purple. I always like to check in with you what you think of the Bendis Norman. He's he's evidently getting superpowers again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really. Wolverine claws, and yeah. he can fly. And yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not, not a fan. Not not liking it so far. Uh, I mean, I'll see how it's going to. But the thing is, I guess it's going to end here pretty quickly. I mean, the next month or two. Yeah. So, I mean, right. it's whatever it was certainly didn't have that great of a buildup either. So, you know, we've. I guess we've got. I guess we've got to hurry and scuttle everything so we can get to Avengers versus X Men, which you know we've all been dying to see. <laughs> we saw it in 1987 by Chris Claremont, I think. Oh, uh, Iron Patriot from China again. A question to Jr. Has your son been reading any comics lately? Uh, actually, yes. We went to the uh, we went to the uh, store the other uh, other weekend uh, when my uh, wife and daughter were down at a. Uh, uh, competitive choir competition and you know we had a bachelor's weekend and uh one of those things was going to the comic book store but he uh he picked up uh a couple of sonic books he's uh, he likes the sonic mm -hmm. character very much awesome. and he's right. he's got a few of the small the small those small seven or eight dollar trades you know smaller size and uh, so right. he picked up uh hey what'd you pick up sonic wise last week Sonic Universe, the Shadow Saga. <laughs> Are they kind of in the, the trade size of the Spider Girls? Yes. Yeah. 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 The Digest. So, the Digest. Yeah. yeah. So he likes those. So yeah, he has cool. he has been uh, he he likes to read he likes to read comic books. 
What did what did Dad pick up? Did Dad buy anything? Uh, Dad just actually caught up on Amazing Spider-Man. He hadn't been. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, he hadn't. That's about all I pick up these days anymore at three ninety nine a pop. But uh, I had been I had been running behind, and uh, so I used that as a way of picking up uh, about everything. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've picked up six eighty one yet. <laughs> I just picked up six eighty right. last week, uh, right. or six seventy seven to six eighty. So anyway, are are you buying Avengers new? And no, regular? no, no, just no, burn stealing them. Burn stealing them, okay. Yeah. Uh, Steve Rogers for Jr. Hope springs, hope springs eternal. So, do you think people will be singing "Go Cubs, Go," at, "Go Cubs, Go" after the final game of the World Series? Yeah, so good old Steve Rogers never seems to forget that I uh, that I'm a Chicago Cub fan. Uh, and always wants to rub <laughs> it in my face every time baseball season comes around. Uh, now the only thing people would be singing uh, relative to the Cubs that has the word "Go Cubs" in it would be "Go to Hell." Uh, <laughs> now I, you know, I um, I do not live and breathe Cubby Blue anymore. I haven't really for several years since my father died, uh, and they just. <laughs> It's you know Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know it just if if they had hired Ryan Sandberg as their manager, I probably would have still I probably would have given a shit. Uh, but you know they've just been so bad for so long. Even I've grown tired of them. So uh, now see. JR is getting out of out of sports, and George, you got back into it. You're you're a baseball guy now. Um, I got into it just for the you know. I mean, I, I get back into it after ten years, and then, or yeah. no, pardon me, longer than that, tw- uh, or eleven or twelve, and then, you know, I, I watched Darren Oliver blow it for the Rangers in the in the World Series, and I'm sitting here thinking about. It, I'm like, I saw this when I was in college almost twenty years ago. You know, I watched the same damn game. I was seeing Darren Oliver blow shit for us back then. I turn in, we're on the World Series, and he's doing it still. And I'm like, holy crap. So, How much is- so I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see. I, I'm so busy right now with my new job. Um, yeah. You know, or you know, with my promotion at the new job, at the existing job. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Pro- Proto Goblin for Jr. Star Trek question: Do you think the creation of the Borg Queen was a good or a bad idea? Uh, hang, uh, let me just backtrack. I was just about to say something else about uh, sports again. Is is I find it so much harder to follow sports these days because the athletes are just assholes. They are just they're they're, they're just they're egomaniacs and they're assholes. And I guess maybe they always have been. And now it's just the fact that we've got social media and you know everybody's got a microphone attached to them 24 hours a day. But you know who wants to watch these guys? They're just—I mean, these aren't guys. You got—you wouldn't have these guys over to meet your mother for Christ's sake. So you know, <laughs> a lot. You know, a lot of the time they're putting the twit back in Twitter. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, here you got here here a lot of these guys probably have a fifth grade education anyway, and they've taken the social media with a vengeance, you know. So uh, anyway, as far as the Star Trek question, well, you know, actually you're asking a next generation type question, Proto Goblin, and I don't uh, I don't have a whole lot of opinions about you know uh, hard and fast opinions about the next generation, but um, I know that some people felt that the Borg Queen was kind of a violation of the whole hot, whole concept of the Borg. The fact that they were this, you know, they were this unitarian type. You know, everybody was the same. It was a communal mind, um, and I understand that. But I think, you know, one. I mean, if you're talking a hive, you know, which the Borg yeah. was, then it makes sense for the hive to have a queen. Um, 
And second of all, when you're, you know, the Borg is a hive, you know, the Borg kind of makes sense on the TV show if they're just that kind of monolithic villain. But when you have a major motion picture and you have somebody and you want to see Patrick Stewart kick somebody's ass, you know, <laughs> you, you need to give him a real tangible, nasty, gnarly villain. You know, kind of like with Shatner, too. You know, I mean, you yeah. want to, you know, you, you want to give him a good bad guy. <clears throat> and uh, I think the Borg Queen uh, served that purpose. Uh, so it, it, I think the Borg Queen was fine. But the, the Borg is, a, you know, that should have been the end of the Borg, though. Yeah. I thought they had a good run on Voyager. I don't, I don't think you watched that, though, George, or, or JR, or anybody. <laughs> I was always a kid. Uh, yeah. They, I, I just watched the series finale of Voyager the other night, and I thought it was a good finale of the Borg, who we haven't seen since 2000. So we're going on 12 years since the Borg have been in Star We're not going to see them again. <clears throat> I guess not. Uh, let's see. Another question for JR. Uh, from TNR105, what would you imagine Norman Osborn would be like if he never took the Goblin Serum? Would he still be the me- megalomaniac we know today? Would he be more of a Lex Luthor type villain? And what would be a more... And what would be, would, and would he be a more dangerous enemy? Well, Norman was always destined to be a bad guy. I mean, I don't, th- I don't buy for a minute that the Goblin formula made him nuts uh, or made him a bad guy. I think he was a bad guy, and I think the Goblin formula essentially, you know, removed his inhibitions in a way. I mean, because he had, he had, now he had the power and he had, you know, less constraints operating on him. Uh, I think if his wife had survived... I think there might have been some moderations to his character. I think, um, but I think that he was just, I think as a character, he just had too much anger in him that he never would have been really a good guy. Um, you know, Lex Luthor, I don't know Lex that well. I mean, you would have to almost get dig Mr. Bailey up from his grave and uh, see what <laughs> he said about uh, uh, Lex. But I, I, I always saw I always saw Lex as being saner than than. Norman, and I always saw Norman as just having way too much anger, um, uh, or more more anger than Lex. Would he be more dangerous if he wasn't so crazy? <sighs> Hard to say, because sometimes his his craziness his craziness does make him prone to, to errors. Uh, but it also makes him more unpredictable. So that's hard to say. But I think for the most part, the, the defining event in Norman Osborn's life was the death of his wife. More so hey, AJR? Than formula. Yeah. AJR, if yeah. we're comparing him to Lex Luthor, does that make uh, that Victoria Handshake as Miss Tessmacher? And who's his Otis? <laughs> uh, actually, actually, Miss Tessmacher now is that uh, that, that crazy psycho um, doctor bitch. Um you know, Doctor Bitch. Yeah, Dr. the bitch. one. The one. No, that, the should one the, the that should be the. That should be the character's name, Doctor Bitch. <laughs> you know that blonde, that blonde chick with poison fingernails or something. Um, she was she was in that Osborne mini. Um, he uh, he he was bedding down with her. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, well, gotcha. I was going to ask you though on on uh, the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, his wife was still around. So do you think that like him being the Goblin made sense? There was there was something going on though with his wife. I don't know that uh, yeah. if you notice, she never talked. Um, there was something there was something fishy going on there. I don't th- I, I think there was something more to that that uh, 
you know, because, and, and as Tom Brevoort says, because that show ran its course, mm. uh, <laughs> we, we never did figure out what it was. So I, I don't know that that's much of it. Really what, what are some books of Norman Osborn's wife that are it? I mean, what, what are the some? The Revenge of the Green Goblin by uh, Roger Stern, when he, yeah. when he hosts up yeah. with Lena, talks about his wife a bit. Yeah, that's really yeah. the only one that goes into much detail about it, about his wife. That's the one where actually, we actually learn her name. Uh, yeah. But uh, but in some of Harry's reminiscence, in, in some of Harry's remnant, uh, Jesus Christ, that must be the Southern Hoosier. I can't say reminiscences. Uh, Memories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very. Uh, and although with Harry and Norman, when they're when they're doing their backstories, you always got to take it with a, a grain of salt. You know, like I, I like I wrote once, it's always kind of, you always got to keep like the movie Rashomon in mind when you're when you're listening to Harry and Norman tell a story because their point of view may not be <laughs> the correct one. Uh, but it's Harry, do we, have, do we have any? Huh? Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, do we have any Norman? Uh, Father and mother stories, like what made him like he is. Well, do we have uh, a father? J. M. D. Mateus in uh, I think it was Spectacular Annual Number Fourteen showed mm-hmm. uh, some of Norman's background uh, that his father was a, a fa- basically his father was the one that sent the family business into the shitter, uh, mm-hmm. and he was a drunkard and, and abusive and uh, beat his wife and uh, I think that kind of I think that probably that, that and I. And uh, Stern picked up on a little bit of that as well, uh, but DiMatteis showed us some of Norman's background um, and uh, kind of what turned it, what what kind of helped create the monster that he was. Um, right. But uh, I think you know, and Harry, but Harry's memories, like I was saying, uh, showed that Norman was devastated uh, by the death of his wife. So I think that was more so than the Goblin formula. I think uh, that the death of his wife is the the event that really turned uh, Norman right. Osborn. Last question, JR. It's not specifically aimed at you. It's aimed to all of us, but I want to hear JR's opinions from Wombat909. Er. It's it's Spider-Man's 50th anniversary. Do you think the character can entertain audiences for another 50? <laughs> well, not the way he's being run right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, he is a great character. It is hard to yeah. ruin Spider-Man because uh, uh, at his core um, – you know, it's 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 he's a great character, uh, and and most everybody can relate to Spider-Man in in one way or another, and I think that's one reason why he's been so popular. So yes, without a doubt, I think he can entertain. I mean, the the great how 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 long have the great mythologies been with us? You know, yeah. I mean, the great you know they've been with us for hundreds of years, uh, and uh, I think that uh, you know I think Spider-Man. Uh, I, I mean, when you look at the classic superhero characters. You know, you definitely, you know, you, you, you rattle off, what, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, maybe Wonder Woman, you know? Yeah. I mean, those, those I think those characters are going to be remembered for a very, very long time. So. Right. All right, JR, that's the last of your questions. Yes. Any final thoughts, sir? Oh, no, no. I've got uh, I've got a conference to fly out to this week, and I've still got some preparations right. to make. So I've uh, got to bail out. But I, as always, I enjoyed my time here. And, uh, Me too. Best wishes to uh, best wishes to Mr. Bailey and uh, 
Mr. Cushing. I certainly hope that we see Mr. Cushing on our on our in our multiplex uh, sometime <laughs> in the near future. Uh, I'm sure that more people would like to see him than they would see John Carter. Uh, so, uh, although I don't, that movie kind of bombed, didn't it? What's, oh yeah. Well, I mean, er, that was that was that, that's like one of those things that uh, everybody knew it was going to bomb, and it's like you know, it's like wh- why did you even make it? You know, because <laughs> cause no one no one has an interest in seeing that movie. Uh, although. I will say, Kevin, if you are on the multiplex anytime soon, please at least wear full clothes. I don't, I don't know that I really <laughs> want to see you in chain mail or you know with your. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd rather remember you fully clothed. So just keep it that yeah. way. So. Good advice in general, Jr. Thank you as always. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks we'll a lot. We'll see you next month, and I'll see you later. Take good care, right, bud. All right, see bye. you, buddy. Bye. I didn't know that John okay. Carter had bombs so much. Well, I, I it did. Here, let's let's play off of what Jr. was uh, talking about. We'll hit that question up before we go through uh, the rest of the message board. Fiftieth anniversary. Will the character be around another fifteen? What do you guys think? Uh, what do you think, George? I, yeah, the character will be around. The character will not be around in a comic book. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the character I, will be around in whatever entertainment venues we have. Fifty years, like streaming hollow thoughts or something like that, and you know, into our heads or. Something. Really, in 50 years, books are gone, huh? Um, books may be around just as a novelty thing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, dude, yeah, I mean, print, print's dying. I mean, books will be the last thing to die print-wise, and I don't think that'll happen still for decades. But, I mean, God almighty, magazines, comics, newspapers, those are all gone. Comics will be in really? Kindles, like you can get them digitally, like via Kindle, I think. Everyone. If we even have Kindles anymore, you know, we're we're gonna have. A, seriously, if it, you look at how fast technology is going, dude. All this shit's gonna be like strained into our head now. We're gonna have things that are just invented in our heads. So, ninety-year-old Brad Douglas is gonna have all these antique long boxes in his house, and reading the Spider-Man one thousand, Amazing Spider-Man one thousand fifty, and the insane asylum. And the <laughs> dude, stories then will be like you jack in like uh, like the Matrix and you live it yourself. Oh God, that would be fun. I, I would like that. <laughs> well, can I be the twenty-year-old Brad Douglas instead of the ninety-year-old? Sure. Am I, am, I, am I interacting with Spider-Man and Mary Jane? <laughs> <laughs> you have no class with Black Cat. And Don can say she's not about sex. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be right outside the door. <laughs> Bastard, she's not. I'm in a milk bath with her. Come on, Don. You know what it's about. <laughs> no milk. No milk bath. No milk bath for you. <laughs> and we'll wrap up the episode right about there. We have one more coming out this month. But before we go, want to give another shout out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices is on Avenging Spider-Man number 7. Evidently, Spidey has a night out with the She-Hulk. Now, this is the green version, not the red one. The description says, quote, All the thwipping and quipping and none of the calories, unquote. The cover price is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Also add them on Facebook. Just type in MailOrderComics in the search bar. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster of the Spider-Man Crawl Space, Brad Douglas.